Okay, so the fifth aliyah of Vayetze, it's interesting, I think we've noted in the past, that sometimes there seems to be some parallel structure within aliyahs. So last week we were talking about the fifth aliyah of Toldos, and there, that's where we have to really struggle with the question of Yaakov and the Yashrist issues. So here, the story that takes place in the fifth aliyah of Vayetze is a complex one, and there are many different interpretations, and it's not 100% clear what is going on here, but the issue of Yashrus is also on the table. And so therefore, there's somewhat of a parallelism here in the structure. So we'll note the various, both specific interpretations and also meta-interpretations, just of the question of dealing with those who are themselves somewhat ethically challenged, and what methods are available and permissible for people who themselves are trying to be Yasharim to <coughs> address such individuals. So the Pasuk begins that here you find Lavan and Yaakov negotiating. Pasuk Chavchesir, V'yomer, Nokva, Scharcha, Alai, V'etena. So tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. So Yomer, Lav, Ati Adata, you know how well things are going. You know how well I've worked for you. This is very evocative of a modern salary negotiation. You see that the worker starts talking about how well things have been going and you know that I need to support my family and I've been doing a good job for you. You know, so I've done good things for you, so what am I going to do for me? Right? How am I going to support my family while I'm also helping you? So, so he says, you don't have to do anything for me. I'm going to work it out, and this is how I will make my make my pay. And the, the way he's explaining it, some of the Farshim suggest that he's telling him that this is not going to be subject to normal Dine Polim in terms of the halachas that would apply, let's say Ona and other problems of rates that are out of whack with the market, that basically this is a kablanus who's taking on a specific task, and here is how it's going to be. So what exactly is going on here, as we noted, is subject to a number of different interpretations, so we'll try to get through the psukim and see if we can understand them. Avor hayom, haser misham vitalo, vitalu, so I'm going to pass through the flock and I'm going to take out all the speckled and the spotted cattle and all the brown cattle that are among the sheep and all the spotted and the speckled among the goats and that's going to be my wages. So Rashi has a way of understanding this which is not the only way of understanding this but the way Rashi understands what's going on is that this is for the sake of the future because he's going to take his payment from what's going to happen after this, from that what's going to be born later. 
So he's saying, let me take out the animals that look like all of what he described. Let me take it out now so that you won't have any claim on me that I'm taking that which was already there. So I'm going to remove everything that already looks like this. So you'll understand that I'm not taking anything that was already there and that everything that I'm going to take is from Bikana Lahaba, is from that which is going to be born from this point on. So that's what he does. And he takes out... Sorry, I think I skipped the Pasuk. So... Then he goes on to say, So then, after that, anything that doesn't fit this description that I have, you can consider it to be stolen. And Lavan says, yes, okay, good. That sounds like a plan. So do it like that. And so he went and he did this and he took out and uh, and Lavan went and he took out all of these things and he gave them to his sons. So here it sounds like Lavan is trying to harm Yaakov because Yaakov had only taken out the young ones so that there wouldn't be any confusion with the ones that are yet to be born. But Lavan is taking out all of the ones of any kind so that there shouldn't be any chance that the future ones will be born in a way that's going to match his description. So we also have Darash Loshus Yamim, Beno Ven Yaakov, Yaakov Roeson, Lavan Hanosaras. So then they put a, bit, a lot of space between them, three days' journey, and Lavan can, and Yaakov continues to feed the rest of Lavan's flocks. But Yikachlo Yaakov. So now he has these special rods that have a green poplar on them and almonds and peeled white streaks and he makes them with a white appearance. So then he puts all these rocks, he puts all these rods rather, in front of the flocks and the places where they come to drink the water. And so that when they conceive and they come to drink, so this is going to influence the type of children they have. So so indeed, this influences what happens, and they have offspring that match that. And then he separated out the lambs, and he put the faces of the flocks towards these striped ones, and all of the brown towards Lavan, and he put his own by themselves, and not together with Lavan's cattle. So 
sorry, and it came to pass that whenever the stronger cattle conceive children, so Yaakov put the rods in front of them, so that they're going to conceive among these rods. So the ones that were weaker, he didn't put them in. So the weaker ones, they were for Lavan, and the stronger ones were for Yaakov. So Yaakov indeed ended up profiting greatly. So he ended up having quite a lot of animals and quite a lot of profit from this. So how do you understand all this? So is this some kind of a scam? So is this a ploy? Was this an underhanded technique? So there are many different interpretations of how to assess this. Uh, Znaim Latora, among others, understands that it's understandable for Yaakov to do this. And he was doing this as a replacement for all of the older animals that Lavan took. And he was doing this with Lavan's knowledge. And this is also how the Rechaim understands it. And this is also how Rav Sham Hirsch understands it. And he also notes that the fact that it worked out in terms of the offspring was actually a total miracle, that it doesn't really work that way, even though in Somchon Alhanes. The Datsakanim adds that they really had a deal that Lavan would leave the Tluim, and Lavan had reneged on the deal. So, in terms of the nature of the interaction, whether there was some type of trickery that was happening in order to counteract Lavan's trickery. So some connect this to the Pasuk, which I think we mentioned recently, in Navar Titavar, Fimakesh Titpatal, Pasuk that appears in Tehillim and also appears in Shmuel Beis, that if somebody is trying to be dishonest with you, so then you should be less than fully straight with him, however you want to translate that Pasuk, which is subject to different interpretations. And the thrust of it is also subject to different interpretations. Uh, there are some who understand, basically, that if somebody is trying to scam you, so then you have the right to treat him in a comparable fashion. And there are some who see it more as a moral kind of value, that it's not right, essentially, to let somebody deceive you. And therefore, it's necessary to counteract that. We mentioned something along those lines last week in the same Aliyah, in the fifth Aliyah of Toldos, that Rivka had greater ability to appreciate the trickery of Esav because of her background and how some understood that that was an important attribute and that it's necessary to thwart those kinds of tendencies. Uh, there are those who understand this discussion about this in the introduction to the Sefer Sanhedrin Kitana. And he notes that the idea of MS is not only that you should be acting with MS, but that you should not be enabling deception by letting others fool you. So that's a theme, the Gemara Masachas Megillah and Dafir Gimel Amid Beis, talks about the question in this context 
and quoting that pasuk also from Tehillim about whether it is permissible for tzaddikim to ever act beramos. So. Again, the one question is, is it simply an issue of self-defense, or is it perhaps even more than that? It's interesting that uh, Sefer Achinuch, this comes up in the realm of the prohibition of Kabbalah Slash and Haris. So we try to figure out what the nature of that prohibition is. The Sefer Achinuch talking about the idea of Midvar Shekhar Tirchak, and there's a discussion why it is that the Torah doesn't simply say, don't lie. So what is the idea of Midvar Sheker Tirchak, specifically, stay away from lying? And the Sefer HaChinuch understands that your aversion to Sheker is supposed to be to such an extent that you not only don't lie yourself, but you don't allow lying to take effect by being the party to it, even by being the recipient of lies. So we talk about Kabbalah Lashon Hara, if we assume that despite the popular idea that Lashon Hara means true information as opposed to Moshe Shemra, but really even Lashon Hara contains something false about it. So Kabbalah Lashon Hara, you have to understand, means to take in something at a minimum that's unfair about someone. So it relates to this idea that part of your responsibility in Mitvah Shekhar Tirchak is not only not to be the one lying, but not even to be taken in by a lie. And uh, here we could also connect this to current events, how uh, we know that uh, a lot of what is happening in the current war is not only the terrible misinformation, but the role of the world in enabling the misinformation is a huge part of it. And that's a big part of the idea of Midvar Shekhar Terchak, that you can't be the one lying, and you can't be the one allowing the lie to take root by being gullible and by allowing yourself to be the victim. So it's possible that that's what's going on here as well. Uh, There are, again, other interpretations that minimize the trickery aspect here. Uh, The Ramban has interpretations that Yaakov had explicitly agreed with Lavan that he could do whatever he wanted to in order to increase his take. So the strategy was okay, but the Ramban complicates that by adding that Lavan didn't know that it was possible to do what he was doing. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, he also brings the Yesh Omrim that the sheep were born first, and then Yaakov used the stick afterwards for the next ones, just so Lavan couldn't claim they were stolen. In the Tshuvah Sor Zarua, Tshuvah Sor Zarua Hagadol, Simon Tavshin Samach Tes, it's worth looking this up because it's a fascinating Tshuvah. It's written in a rhyming form. He writes that Yaakov was trying to find a way to make sure Lavan couldn't cheat him. So he made a deal regarding all of these animals. And also those were also those that were already there, which is not like Rashi, who says that he was only talking about the future births. And that when the Pasuk says he gave the animals to his sons, so Rashi understands that it means the sons of Lavan, the, son, the animals that were already there, but the Ozerua says it means that the animals were given to his own sons, to Ruvain and Shimon, because those were a part of his deal. And then he only put the sticks by his own section, not by Lavan, so that there can't be any tine on him. So it's a complete rereading of the story in a whole different way. Uh, the Truma Sadeshan, in his uh, Buri Marai, understands that the deal was actually on any one of the three Simanim, 
But Yaakov was afraid that Lavan would claim that he needs to have all three, so therefore he put the stick that had two of these two on him in order to try to address Lavan's potential claim on him, potential counter-unfair claim. So essentially what you have, just in sum, is that you have a whole range of interpretations of exactly what was going on here with Yaakov's strategy. Was there some element of manipulation which can be justified because he's counteracting Lavan's manipulation? And then that's a meta discussion of when exactly is that justifiable? Or is it that really there was nothing at all untoward about what he was doing? And can the story be interpreted along, along those lines? So one way or another, so he ends up profiting greatly. And what happens after this, as the next parak begins, So, Lavan's sons hear... Lovely. They hear of Lavan saying, saying that Yaakov has taken away everything from our father. And the Kliyakir comments here, taken everything from our father, meaning he's taken even his strategy, he's taken even his cleverness, he knows how to outsmart him. But the idea of taking his property, so that's the, how they suspect that he has profited at his expense. That's how they interpret it. So Vayar Yaakov is Pnei Lavan Vihinenu So Yaakov realizes that the mood has changed. He reads the room and he realizes that things aren't so good. So Vayomer Yaakov Vayomer Hashem Vayomer Hashem El Yaakov Shuv El Eretz Havosecha Ulam Olatecha Ve'Ehimach. So here Kadosh Baruch Hu says that it's time for you to go back, and I will be with you. And here, this idea that there is a promise that I will be with you, even though it's a nevuah. So this is a theme that's going to also be present here in the rest of the Aliyah, that you have both, that you have a, a commandment to do something. Basically, Yaakov and his family should listen because it's a nevuah. But it's also, Kedah Yaakov's going to explain this to his family uh, with all the reasoning to do it just for the benefits because it's always kedai to try to reduce any potential unpleasantness that comes together with mitzvahs, and that's the theme that's going to show up in this aliyah again as we go forward. And the Oznai Latorah comments here, and this also perhaps has some powerful resonance at the moment, that after love on sons starts raising all these allegations and these complaints, so in that context, Hashem says, leave, and maybe that is a simon for those Jews who understand that at times of persecution, maybe that's the finger of Hashem saying it's time to go back to your homeland, it's time to be aware of just how inhospitable things have been. So Yaakov sends for Rachel Leah to the field. And the Gemara in Brachas and Avchesim at Beis talks about the praise of the Madaim because they only talk about issues of counsel in the field. And Rashi there comments, if you ever wondered how old this expression is, you see that at least it's a thousand years old, that it's good to talk about private things in the field because the walls have ears. So 
if you've heard that expression before, you wonder where it comes from. It's at least as old as Rashi, because Rashi says there was Naim Lakoso, the walls have ears. And that's therefore wise to make sure to not be in a public place where you can be overheard. And Vayomer Lehan Roa Anochi Espnea Vichan Kienanue like it Moshoshom. So I see that things have changed and God is with me. And you know that I have worked your, worked for your father with all of my power. And your father has not treated me properly and he's changed my wages ten times, but God hasn't allowed him to hurt me. So this idea that I have worked for your father with all of my power, so the Rambam and Hilchus Chiras learns the halacha from this, is in Parakir Gimel Halacha Zayin. The Rambam says, you see from here, that a worker has to work with all his strength, and it's because Yaakov did that, that that's why he got rich, that's why he was successful. In his commentary, Sam Derech, so he notes that even though we see that he actually even went above and beyond working with all his strength. So he says, well, that was because of his special attributes, but uh, to Lavan, so it's only mentioned that that which we would understand as part of the actual chiv. And in the Sefer Minchas Aaron, he comments on the Rambam's language, where he asks, how do we know that that's why he got rich? And also this part where he says he worked the Kolkocho, maybe that's not the actual requirement. Maybe that was the Fnimashur Sadin. So he explains that this language of Kolkocho, so that was specifically to his wives, so they would know that he didn't steal anything. But to Lavan, he says more in order to establish that Lavan was kafli tov to him, that Lavan was ungrateful. So Lavan's sons were saying to him, that how could he have gotten so rich? Uh, it must be that the kolkocho is the explanation for the bracha. And commenting on this idea of the obligation to work with kolkocho, so in Shulchan Aruch it's brought in Shilam Gimel that uh, Paul can't take on other jobs and do things that make his strength less, like fasting or taking on Naziris. And Rabbi Moshe Feinstein has a tshuva in Yerodei Chelik Aleph, you see from Yaakov that even if the Rebbeim don't get paid well, so they can't be mazalzal in the job and say, okay, they don't have to take it seriously, they still have to work with Kolkocho, and they still have to follow through with all their responsibilities. So, just to skip to the end here, so here he says to, at the end of the Aliyah, he says to his wives, that uh, we have to go and we have this issue. So he's explaining to them again the difficulties that are being there. And the Bali Moser point out, like we said a few minutes ago, that even when there is a chiv, even when Kaddish Baruch Hu has told them that this is the way, he still tries to give them reasons why it's to their benefit to do so. And the uh, Bali Moser explained that that's always a good idea, that when you're dealing with mitzvos, so it's always helpful to try to explain why the mitzvah is pleasant and why it's beneficial, 
and not uh, rely simply on the fact that it's a chiyuv and help people to understand the internal value of the mitzvah. So in that context, so the Pasuk tells us, Pasuk Yedal, to skip to there, Vatan Rachel Balea, Vatamarnalo, Haod Lanu Chelek, Vinachel Avinu. So do we have any value there? Do we have any inheritance? Halo Nachrios Nechshav Nulo, Kimacharnu, Vayochal Gamacholis Kaspenu. He treats us like strangers, he's eaten up all our money. Kichala Osher, Asher Hitzil, Uhime Avinu, Lanu Hulabanenu, Viata, Kolesha Amar, Uhime Lecha. I say, so all of the riches that Hashem has taken from our father, that's ours and for our children. And whatever God says, you're right, let's, let's do that. So the gracious Rabbah has a strong statement here that because Rachel <coughs> answered in front of her older sister, so that's why she ended up dying first, which seems like a pretty harsh response. Rav Schwab has a comment over here about that fact that it seems like such a harsh response. And he adds that it's really more than that. It's actually that she was in violation of Makla Aviv, that the Torah says, Arura Makla Aviv, that somebody who makes their parent light in the way they talk about them, the way they act towards them is cursed. So it's not just the fact that she's talking in front of her older sister, but it is the whole attitude that she's reflecting about her father. And even though he was a Russia, but nonetheless, she has to be careful in how she speaks. And so we see that she has the fact that she's also speaking in front of her older sister. So that shows that it's not dumb that he was deserving of it, but that she has a little bit of that attitude of disrespect. So now she's responsible for it as a mida rather than it being justified. But the Shvos Yaakov has a raya from here. There's a whole discussion in general. There is a obligation of kavod to an older brother. The Gemara discusses in the, in the Gemara Masachis Ksubis on Daf Kuv Gimel. So there is a discussion whether that applies only to older brothers and only to the oldest brother. So that traces to a machlokas, the Rambam and the Ramban. That the Rambam understands that the obligation is a result of the status of Bahor and therefore should only apply to the oldest brother. While the Ramban understands that it is a function of the desire of the parents, and therefore it goes to all older siblings. The assumption is the parents want that the older siblings should be treated respectfully, that there should be a hierarchy among the siblings. So, therefore, it would apply not only to the Bechor, it would apply to any older sibling, brother or sister. So, Shavos Yaakov has the truth. He says, you see from here, that if there was such a kapeda about speaking against your older sister, so apparently it's like the Ramban, it applies to all older siblings, not just to an older brother, an oldest brother, who would have the din of a Bechor. And to reinforce the point that we said before about trying to make the mitzvos palatable and to understand that it's valuable to emphasize why they are desirable in and of themselves. So Moshe Feinstein has a comment here in a sefer on Chumash, which was a theme by him. The the sefer has this comment a number of times in his name, and I've seen this quoted in his name many other times, so this was certainly 
in the sense of Pirkeyavos, who I Omer, this is clearly something that Ramosha felt was important to reiterate again and again. So Ramosha comments here, and it's very similar to what we said a few minutes ago, that just as Yaakov is taking care to explain to his wives why it's a good idea for us to leave, not just that Hashem said so, so their response also, they don't just say, okay, we'll listen to Hashem, but they also say, yeah, it's not a big, it's not a big deal to leave because things are pretty miserable here and we're being treated awfully. So why is that the case? Why do they respond that way instead of just saying, we will listen to Hashem? So the comment that Ramosha so frequently made is that it's important to be able to appreciate that the mitzvot are consistent with a good life. And he would note that he says, we, we ruin our children by saying, it's shvertz that uh, convey a message that Judaism is difficult and is unpleasant and is hard is a very damaging message. And we want to try to convey the message that the mitzvot are beautiful and that the Torah is glorious and it's a very uplifting life. And it's very harmful to say So sometimes people say that because they feel the religion is challenging. And sometimes they say that because of the pressures and persecution of anti-Semitism. So, of course, right now we're feeling very strongly the second aspect. But it's still, nonetheless, true that it comes with a very corrosive effect. And it's still also the case that an appreciation for the beauty and the tremendous treasure that comes along with Torah and Mitzvos is a response to both, that the mitzvot should not be seen as burdensome, but also the legacy of Torah and Judaism is so fantastic that it makes it worth it, even despite all of the harassment and the suffering of the Jews over the course of generations. And that should be indeed our lot, that we should be able to have such a profound appreciation for everything that Sakharish Baruch Hu's Torah has to offer us, that that is able to instill within us a simcha that overcomes all of the suffering that the rest of the world has tried to inflict and impose. And this should carry us through, through all of the darkest moments. Okay, so we'll stop here. Again, as uh, 